good morning. Thanks for being here for Adult Sunday School. Last week, um, we talked about Peter and his second escape from prison, and we talked a lot about prayer. And today, we're going to talk about how the church is sent to the world, how God has us come to represent him and the work that he wants us to do. And so we'll be in Acts chapter 13. Before we get started, this is a little bit, you know, when we talk about God sends people out into the world, um, in this it's Acts 13 where they send missionaries out from Antioch. And so some of you may know um, William Carey. He was an Englishman who lived um, the 17 and 1800s, um, became a believer by studying the Bible, but he's considered to be the father of modern missions. When he was saved, he had studied the Bible a lot with a friend of his, and, and God, through the Holy Spirit, really laid on his heart the call for us to go out and spread the word um, to the rest of the world. And uh, if you look at Matthew 28, if you look at the last couple of verses from verse 18, and this is um, Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a very common verse that we use um, when we're commissioning missionaries and sending them out. But that's really what our story is going to be talking about today. William Carey ended up being a missionary in India. India was a British colony at that time, but he went over. At that time, nobody really went out as a missionary to do this kind of work. So he kind of set up um, what we think of as modern missions today. Um, he translated the full Bible into Bengali, which is um, one of the languages spoken in India. He set up a university that was a Christian university to help educate Christians there. So was a person who really listened to that call from God and who really worked hard to go out and spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to be in Acts 13, and we're going to cover verses 1 through 12. And as we go through this today, just think of different ways that maybe you know, God's calling you or asking you to go out in the world and spread the good news of the gospel. So we're going to start off, um, this is Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, and this is where God raises missionaries from the church. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who, were, and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And so this is you know, a very common thing that God does even today where through fasting and prayer and studying the word, the Holy Spirit calls people to be missionaries. And so in this case, it was Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul, who's also called Paul. And, and this is where we start to see a shift. And so if you look back and you think about Acts 1-8, where Jesus tells them to spread the word in Jerusalem and Samaria and beyond, he's telling them, 
We need to spread the word here where we are, but we need to also send people out. And if you look at the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters are really about Peter evangelizing and bringing the good news to Jerusalem and that kind of that immediate area. And they do go out a little bit from there, but it's primarily looking at trying to get the good news to Jewish people. And we start here with chapter 13 and Barnabas and Saul, it's more centered in Antioch. And so Jerusalem was, of course, where, you know, if you will, the, the capital of Judaism. Antioch is more the capital of Christ, Christendom as it is beginning to build after Christ did his work on the cross, was resurrected, and the church then is formed and believers start to go out. And so from Acts 13 on, it's much more about Paul and his ministries and the ministry trips and things that he did. Um, it's a diverse group of people. Um, and this is something that God does as well. The gospel's not just for a certain kind of people or a certain group, socioeconomic status or ethnicity or whatever. The gospel is for everyone. And we talked about that several lessons ago. Um, the, the lesson with Peter where God showed him the animals and the sheep and that you know, what God has declared clean, no man can call unclean. And so this is just an extension of that. Manan, um, the text tells us, grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. So he was involved in local government, um, ran in those circles, was more involved with people who are of local control. Um, Lucius and Simeon were both from North Africa, and so they were truly foreigners who were here um, or in this situation. Um, Barnabas was a Jew and was a wealthy Jew. If you go back into Acts, when the church is first forming, he's one who had property that he sold and gave the money to the church to support the church. And then we have Saul, who also is called Paul, and he was raised as a Jew and um, was, a sad, was a Pharisee, knew the law in and out, and he also was a Roman citizen. And later as we study and you go through Acts, you'll see where God uses that specific um, combination of, of Paul being a Jew of the Jews and then also being a Roman citizen to get himself to Rome to be able to do the work of spreading the gospel there. And so, you know, when we look at all this, it really does show us, you know, that it's, it's God's plan and how that gets um, worked out in his way where he takes lots of different people and brings them together. And you'll notice too, last week we talked a lot about praying, but here when he's calling these missionaries, it's through fasting and prayer and studying the word and fellowship that these missionaries feel the call of the Holy Spirit and that God is directing their lives to focus on that. And that's um, the essential doctrine for today is the mission of the church. The church is a sign and instrument of the kingdom of God, a people united by faith in the gospel announcement of the crucified and risen King Jesus. The mission of the church is to go into the world in the power of the Spirit and make disciples by proclaiming this gospel, calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith and demonstrating the truth and power of the gospel by living under the Lordship of Christ for the glory of God and for the good of the world. And so in that mission statement, um, a couple of important things to keep in mind. It's, you know, it tells us you know, we go out into the, into the world in the power of the Spirit. As believers, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit 
as part of the Trinity, guides us. It's that conscience, if you will. It helps direct our lives. And it's really the Spirit doing the work. We're the, if you will, tools or the way the Spirit works that out here in, in the world of the living, you know, the, the fleshly world. But it's really in the Spirit of God, and so we need to rely on that. And I thought it was interesting that it says, you know, we go out calling people to respond in ongoing repentance and faith. And so as a believer, when we realize we've, we've done something that's not in obedience to God, when we sin, what are we supposed to do? Confess our sin, repent, and ask for forgiveness, and then move on, right? Because Christ's work on the cross paid for all of our sins. And so we ask for repentance, for repentance, that sin is paid for, and we move on and we try to do better. But it, what struck me was it says to respond in ongoing repentance. Okay, as people who live here, we're children of Adam, our nature is a sin nature. Through the power of Christ and his work on the cross and the Holy Spirit, we don't have to sin, but it's our nature to sin, right? And so we always, as we go through life, none of us ever are perfect. You know, we, we mature as Christians, we grow, we learn more, we hopefully do better, but this, this process of growing in faith, making mistakes, recognizing that, repenting, asking for forgiveness, and moving on, that's the life of a Christian. And so we never get beyond that, if you will. Um, I don't know, most of you probably have a, a sport that you've played or a craft or something that you do that... You keep working at it, and you always find something better that you can do. There's always something you can learn and do better, and that's what Christianity is. There's always something we can learn. There's always more we can do better, but it's that process where, you know, you don't ever achieve complete sanctification on earth. Sanctification is that process of becoming more Christ-like, but we don't actually get there while we're here because we're not truly capable of it. We have the power, but that's that sin nature in us that always holds us back. So we have to understand that and work through that. But just as I read that um, in studying this, it really brought out to me, it's that process and understanding that's what it is. And we have to work through that. It's not something that we're ever going to complete, right? And I like to check boxes off. I like to get stuff done. And so in some ways, that's kind of discouraging. But we have to remember to be encouraged that we have God in our life. We have the Holy Spirit. He's a never-ending supply of encouragement. And if we have that faith and that trust, he gives us what we need to continue to move on and to go forward in life. So we're going to move on. Um, the second part of what we're going to talk about today, it's verses 4 through 8, and this is how God guides missionaries to proclaim the gospel. So we'll start in verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. 
But Elimus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so the missionaries are sent out, so Saul and Barnabas go, as the Holy Spirit has directed them, and they go throughout the whole island, right? And God has set up these circumstances, and God knows what's going to happen, and he gives them the tools to deal with these things. And this, again, is, is God's plan, and part of what this lesson is trying to get across is there will be opposition. And becoming a believer doesn't mean all the unhappiness and bad things in your life go away. It just means now you have the proper tools to take care of that, right? You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God to guide you. You have fellow believers who will come alongside you and help you out. But you're still going to have trials. You know, and it's, it's interesting. They go through the whole island and they end up at Paphos, which is the capital of Cyprus. And in like in most big cities... This is more or less a den of iniquity. This was the center of the worship of the goddess Aphrodite. And so there are lots of things going on here that are not godly at all. But God has brought them to this place, and he wants them to spread the gospel. And so the, um, the proconsul, um, Sergius Paulus, it says in the text, it says he's an intelligent man and he's interested. He hears this new thing about the gospel and he wants to hear it. But there's also opposition, right? One of his counselors is this Bar-Jesus, which um, notes in my Bible say that that's the Arabic translation of the name for a magician. And his name is Elimus. And so Bar-Jesus and Elimus are the same Person. But back then, magicians, you know, when you say a magician today, what do you think of? Entertainer, card tricks, you know, pulling flowers out of your sleeve, making people disappear, all that kind of stuff. Back then, magicians were more along the line of fortune tellers, soothsayers, people who uh, performed divination and would tell you what the future is. That's really who this bar Jesus is, okay? The text also tells us that he's Jewish, right? So what, what should he know? Even if you didn't believe in the gospel at that time, if you were Jewish and you were raised as a Jew, what, what texts did you study? The first five books of the Bible, right? The Pentateuch. In there, God has all these commandments they're supposed to do, right? So in those first five books of the Bible, it has the Ten Commandments, right? It has all these things. So is Elimus doing what he, I mean, is he going against probably what he should have been taught? Very much so. Because in Deuteronomy, if you can find in there, it, it forbids divination. It, it forbids fortune telling. It forbids all these things. And so my point in bringing this up is, even though we know what we're supposed to do, many times as people, we don't do what we're supposed to do. We do what's, what's most expedient, whatever gets us what we want. And so this is what, if you can imagine, we have the proconsul who's in charge of everything there in the Roman government, very powerful man, and so this Bar-Jesus has ingratiated himself to him. And if, if Bar-Jesus, you know, if, if the proconsul figures out that Bar-Jesus doesn't really know how to tell the future and he understands who God is and starts believing in God and follows God as a Christian would, a disciple would, then 
very well could be that Bar Jesus is out of a job, or he at least loses the power and the influence that he had. So there's this opposition that's automatically set up, right? So does this surprise you, really? Not really. If, if you look back at, you know, even, you know, from the very beginning in Genesis, in chapter 3, from when the serpent, you know, it's Satan disguised as a serpent, deceives Eve, and even Adam's sin, and the fall begins, right? We're third chapter of the entire 66 books and all the chapters, and things have already gone awry because we're children of Adam. You know, we have that sin nature in us. Well, it's, it's the same thing that's happened over and over. If you go back and look in the Bible, there are people who are doing what they shouldn't be. They're opposing, they're directly opposing God. And we could find many examples of that, uh, people who follow God, but there are many examples in the Bible of people who don't. If you're reading along um, with the Bible readings that we that come out in the bulletin every day, the daily Bible readings, we're in Kings. You know, we, we read Samuel, and we've been through First Kings, we're in Second Kings. And it's always amazing to me in there, you read of all the, the, the lineation of David, and you know, this, this guy became king because he killed this guy, or this happened, and you know, he, you know, they either do good in the, in the sight of the Lord or they do evil in the, in the sight of the Lord. And many, many, many of them did evil. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They did what they wanted to do. And so this opposition is always going to be there, but it is part of God's plan. And God, just like he gives Barnabas and Saul the tools to deal with this, he gives us the tools to deal with it and that is to lean on the holy spirit to learn and understand his word so that when we get in those situations we understand how we should apply what god has taught us and so um part of in looking at this is that we we need to be prepared for that opposition so then when it happens it doesn't surprise us right um there are many professions in the world that practice for things to go wrong, right? I mean, we have firefighters and policemen and the military and medical people and even lots of other types of jobs where you think through, well, if, if this happens, what do we do? And so as Christians, we need to kind of have the same mentality. We need to be solid in our knowledge of the word. We need to have that strong personal relationship and connection with Christ so that the Holy Spirit is active in our heart. So that when this opposition comes up, when we run into that bar Jesus in our life, we know what we should do, and we're not flustered, and we're not overwhelmed, and we're able to do the work that God has called us to do. So moving on to look at the rest of the text, we're going to look at um, verses 9 through 12. And this is where God gives missionaries power to validate the gospel. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. 
so this, this is uh, an interesting turn of events because in this missionary trip and they go out and they're spreading the gospel, the Holy Spirit peaks to, speaks to Paul, right? And I mean, it's, it's interesting. This is one of the few times, you know, I mean, mostly when the disciples are out performing miracles, what are they doing? Healing people, right? The, the Bible's full of many, many examples of them healing people and casting out demons and making, you know, all of these things. But here in this case, what, what happens to um, Bar-Jesus? He's struck blind, right? And, you know, and it's a, a pretty strong accusation that Saul, who's also known as Paul, tells him. Um, there are other examples in the Bible, if you look back in Jeremiah um, in chapter 5, when God's people are doing a lot of things that they're not supposed to. Jeremiah uses some of these same words to describe what Bar-Jesus is doing. Um, Paul himself does it again. If you'll turn to um, Galatians chapter 5, you know, a lot of people know the fruit of the Spirit, but Paul here, when he's talking about walking in the Spirit, he tells us what we're not supposed to do. He outlines all these behaviors that we're not supposed to engage in. So if you look at verses 19 through 21, Paul says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorceries, en enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, you know, when we think about these things that, that are ungodly, that sometimes we engage in, um, we need to remember that there are consequences for that and that we're held accountable and we need to... Um, just work towards being more faithful and obedient to God and following his word. And sometimes we get in spots where that's very difficult to do, but God has that power, and through the Holy Spirit, you can, you can work your way out of that. But I think it's interesting that um, Paul, in confronting him, and, it, and it's not just Paul being angry, right? Because what does the text say? It says, you know, Saul filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. So Paul is acting through the Holy Spirit. He's being led to do this. So it wasn't really Paul's idea to strike him blind. But it's interesting, isn't it, as, as an affliction that would happen to bar Jesus, because um, we talked a little bit before about what magicians do. So what, what does God do to show that bar Jesus, you know, is not representative of God? He takes away his sight. So here's this person who's advising the proconsul who's supposed to be able to see all things and tell the future, and God has struck him blind, right? And it doesn't say it's a permanent disability. He says for a time you won't be able to see the sun. But he obviously can't see because he's looking around asking somebody, hey, will you hold my hand and guide me because I can't see. And so it's just this example of the consequence for the action of Bar-Jesus who's trying you know, directly to oppose God and um, not let the work of the Lord happen. 
that this is going on. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because we look at this and sometimes maybe we think to ourselves, well, if I could, you know, make someone have immediate consequences for disobeying God, then I could really convince a lot of people to follow God. But that's not really how it works, right? Because are we really the ones who save people? No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you think back to your salvation and, and when you really became a believer, think back about who was in your life, who was interacting with you, who was living out the gospel in their life, who was reading the Bible to you, who was praying for you. And so there are all these things that are going on, and, and we can play a part in that by being a good witness, by sharing our testimony, by supporting people by being generous and showing them the love of Christ but it's really that work of the Holy Spirit that works on the unbelievers heart as well as the hearts of believers to have that interaction so that when they are ready to submit when they're ready to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and admit that they're sinners that all happens but it's not through this magic thing and and it didn't even it wasn't you know that the text tells us that the proconsul saved but but look at what it says why he was saved it says, the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. I'm sure he, he, it got his attention when, when Paul, you know, speaks and, and this Bar-Jesus loses his sight. But that wasn't what convinced him, right? It was the amazing teaching about the Lord. That's what convinced him to be a believer. And... You know, that's in, in many, many ways, it's just the simple proclamation of the gospel that convinces people to be believers. Because God, through his plan, has had that person go through whatever experience. Sometimes that experience is, and, and we all know people who were saved as very young children because God placed them in a godly family and they heard about the gospel all the time, and at a very young age, they realized they needed that, and they accepted Christ when they were four or five. Um, and there's a big maturation process that goes with that. And then there are other people who, like me, go through many years of our lives ignoring God and knowing that there's a God, but you don't want to follow him because you don't want to obey, and you don't want to put yourself under his authority because you like who you are and you want to be in charge. But God works on your heart and through people you know and the Bible, you get to a point where you realize that you, um, you can't work your way to heaven. And that, that's what I was taught when I was, grow when I was growing up. My parents believed in God, but it was more of the, if you're a good person and you do what you're supposed to do, you get to go to heaven. And that's not how it works. Are Christians good people? Yes. Do we do good things? Yes. Do we get to go to heaven? Yes. But it's because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that saving knowledge of the work he did on the cross and accepting him as a savior. You know, and it, it, it takes that for some people, you know, and even we have, and we just, we just studied, you know, we just came through Easter and Christ was crucified on the cross with two criminals, right? And think about that. If you read through the text, it tells you, you have to read in the, in the different gospels, but as they're hanging there crucified, in the beginning, both of those criminals are cursing Jesus and saying, if you are the son of God, free us, save us, right? 
But as this process of crucifixion goes through, one of those criminals becomes convicted, understands really who Jesus is, and accepts him. And you know, it, it tells us that Christ tells him that he will see him in paradise that day. And that's, that's just a good example of when you're witnessing to somebody, you know, it's never too late to get saved. That, that guy was truly right at the end. He got saved. And, and that does happen to people. There are stories of people who go through their life and they're not saved. And then someone witnesses to them right before they die and they accept Christ. Right. And there are parables and things in the gospel that help explain some of that. But, um, you know, really what I'm getting to is it's just that, that proclamation of the gospel. Right, and, that, and, and Carolyn's bringing up the point that in Paul's conversion, he did have his sight taken away, and, and it was you know, later given back to him as well. But that, Paul understood how that works. But that, and it's a good point too, sometimes we wonder why God's having us go through a trial. And it's because as we go through that trial, other people are watching us, and they see how we react. And a, not, a believer would understand and know, you can face these trials because you have that faith and, and trust in God that even though this is a very hard thing for you to do, it's what he's called you to do. But a non-believer who, you know, maybe if they thought, well, if I was in that situation, I would be furious. You know, I'd kick my spouse out of the house. I would do this. I would do that. Because they're not a believer. They don't have that understanding. They don't have the teaching. And, and so they see that. And sometimes that's how God, through the Holy Spirit, starts piquing that person's interest and they want to know why and it may be you know their friend that's this is happening to and they get that chance to explain to them um, and you know it, it, there's a I'm not going to use it in here but the the person who wrote this had an example of they had a friend that they witnessed to all the time and um, it you know this this it doesn't say whether he ever really was converted, but this person realized that what he was doing, instead of bearing his testimony, which is instead of telling him how he got saved, he was telling him his testimony, meaning he was talking all about me, and he was telling him all these stories. He never got to the point of, you know, the simple part of the gospel is that, you know, Jesus Christ was fully God, fully man. He was born of the Virgin. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified and died on the cross, was buried was resurrected on the third day and that power is what saves us and if you believe in him if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart you can be saved right so it's a good reminder too sometimes to not get so wrapped up in what's happening to us and telling your story and everything but you have to get to the point I don't know how many of you I don't know if there are many salesmen in here but I've done sales and you have to close the deal you have to ask the person to buy Okay, so you need to ask that person to accept Christ into their heart. The good thing is, the Holy Spirit will lead you. You will know, as a believer, if you have that personal relationship, you will know when the time is right. And God will give you those words, and you will say those. And if it's the right time for that person, they'll accept. It may not be the right time. You might think so, but sometimes, you know, just like a lot of things, we have to be asked multiple times before we'll do it. And... You know, God in, in all his understanding of how the, you know, things happen in his plan, 
it's there, and if it's God's will, this, this will happen. Um, the other thing to, to think about is um, just that, that simple proclamation of the gospel is, is that it's there. God tells us that everything we need to know to be saved, to understand who he is, who his son Jesus Christ is, has been presented to everyone. Everyone has had a chance. Um, and that miracles themselves aren't going to make someone believe. And um, if you'll turn with me to, it's Luke chapter 16, and it's, uh, I'm going to start in verse 19. So Luke 16, 19. And this is the, the um, story about Lazarus, the rich man. And I thought it was really applicable to this. So it's Luke 16, verse 19. So it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. So now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from, here, from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And I just thought that was a really good parable to bring to point what you know happens in the world. And, and God, in his mercy, has given us Moses and the prophets, right? He's given us the full text of the Bible. He's given us as believers the Holy Spirit in our heart. But no one has an excuse. You know, and this is just a story that even if, you know, because this story talks about Paul striking this man blind, but that wasn't why the proconsul was saved. He was saved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the teaching about the Lord, and through the gospel. It wasn't this miracle. And so... You know, we have at our disposal the exact same things that these missionaries do. We can study the word, we can pray, we can fast, we can fellowship together to learn from one another and to encourage one another. And God will give us opportunities as we go about our daily lives to witness to people. And it's just that, that persistence and 
the knowledge of the gospel that hopefully we carry with us and they were always ready to give that good news to people and you know god will put you in situations where you will be able to do that and it may not happen every day it may um, but it's just to be ready in that um, so just in wrapping up um, in, in thinking through this lesson and knowing and understanding what it is you know we don't have to go to a foreign country we don't have to do something really wild and different to be a missionary we could be a missionary in our own lives you know, and maybe if God's, God's calling you to go on a mission, then that, that would be great. And he'll lead you down the path that will support you in the way that you can go do that. But I hope that, you know, we all think of ourselves as working in our own little mission field here in southwest Colorado and influencing those people that we do have influence on that God's put in our lives. So do we, does anybody have comments or questions before we finish for the day? Oh, we got one from Keith. It does, and that's a really good point, Keith, that, you know, it, all of this, you know, it's, it's all written down and recorded in specifically the way and happened specifically in the way so that if we really study and we think through all of these things, you know, the point that Keith brings out about um, you know God beating Bar Jesus at his own game because if he's supposed to be able to tell the future, wouldn't he know he was going to be blinded? So then why is he there if he's going to get blinded? And and God says this is going to happen, and it happens right away, right? And Carolyn brought out the point about the similarities between this, you know, Bar Jesus being blinded and he doesn't get saved, but it's used to save someone else, and Paul's own conversion and how that you know may have been a strong influence for him, and Paul lost his sight and had that, had that come back. And, and there are many examples in the Bible where God's doing this, right? If you really get into the details and you really read through that and, and you pay attention to those details, you understand that. But it's just, in my mind, another testimony to um, the omnipotence and omniscience of God, right? The three big O's, the omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. He's everywhere all the time. He knows everything, and he is all-powerful. Um, and that's, you know, that's the God I believe in, and I hope that's the God that you believe in, that he, he can do anything. He is the creator of the universe. He's the one who speaks things into existence. Um, and this is the God who's at work here, and this is the God who's performing these miracles through the work of Paul and bringing people the good news of the gospel and, and the prophecies that he foretold and what Jesus' commands were to spread the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're starting to see that happen because missionaries are called in the church at Antioch and they're going out to these islands, they're going out to these far places, and they're bringing the gospel and people are accepting that. And that still goes on through today. And that's something um, you know that I think about as we do this is we're still here because there are people who still need to accept the gospel because once everybody's saved, Christ comes back. So I think um, Cheryl has a point. That I don't know. And I know what 
the lesson was trying to bring out was that Menaean grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so he knew someone at the very highest levels of government. And I think, at least from the part of the lesson, it's, it's to understand we all, we all work at different places, right? We all have, we all fellowship together. We all know each other. We all encourage each other. But we also, through our business dealings or through play groups with kids at home or you go to the doctor's office, you see people in the store, we all have certain areas of the community that we see all the time and that we influence. And it's, it's how we behave and how we act that non-believers see us, right? And, they, and, and believe me, they, you know, more than likely, they know you're a Christian. So when they see you, if you happen to have a bad day and you fly off the handle and you do something you shouldn't do, they take notice of that. And that's why you know, we need to do the best that we can. And sometimes it happens to everybody, right? I mean, we are humans. We have that tendency in us, but we have to you know, try to react in the right way and, and do the right things. But I, I don't know if, if he did or not. I can try to look some of that up and, and see and let you know next week. Right, two of them were um, Lucius and um, Niger. Simeon was the other name. Well, and and so, yes, he'd gone. But but the you know the the two that are here with them, it's it's Paul and Barnabas. And it doesn't. I don't. I don't know that it said where Menaean and Lucius and Simeon went to. It, right, so it, I, don't, I don't think they accompanied Paul, Paul and Barnabas to um, Cyprus and Pathos. They, I don't think they actually were there with them when they confronted Bargesus, but I will, I will look into that and make sure. Right, just at the church in Antioch when they were being called. No, and and it, they're from Africa. It doesn't say they went there. But I was trying to make the point that God uses a diverse group of people. That salvation's for everybody, and He uses everybody to spread His word. Um, I'm flipping back here. Well, it's it's it says Lucius of Cyrene, and Cyrene's in Africa. And then the the Gospel Project book. Um, in here it says that Lucius and likely Simeon were both from North Africa. I think that all scholars sort of use Right. And so some of it as as people have studied and tried to figure out, because they want to know more about, well, what you know, if the Bible doesn't say where did those other three go and they're trying to figure out where they went, they're making assumptions or they're they're looking into that. And I was trying to see if my um 
Because the, the note in my Bible, when, it's, when it says Lucius of Cyrene, it says not the Lucius of Romans 16.21 or Luke, the physician of author of Acts. So this is someone who's different. Um, and the other thing you know it says about Simeon called Niger is that Niger means black. And it says he may have been a dark-skinned man, an African or both, but no direct evidence exists to equate him with Simon of Cyrene. This is one of those things where you know we can study and study and study, but we know what the text says and then try to understand better. And this is Herod the Tetrarch. And there's lots of Herods. We talked about that a little bit last week. Okay. All right. Well, I'll do some looking into those specific names and see if I can find some other text or documentation, and Daryl may very well be right. It may just be some speculation that's in there to try to add something to that. Okay. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up in prayer. Oh, yeah, yes. That's a good point. Thanks, Randall. That's just evidence, again, of, of God's design using how people work to spread his good news. Do one more. Yes, it does. And so it just, Mary Lou was just saying Niger means black. And that's what, the same note in my Bible. All right. Well, thanks for those comments. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the day. Father God, we thank you for this story of missionaries and helping us understand that the gospel is the gospel and it's your gospel and it's something that we can share and we should be prepared to share that you prepare meetings and coincidences and divine interventions in our very own lives where we can help further the understanding of the gospel where we live and the people we have influence over lord we thank you so much for the gift of the holy spirit for the confidence that it gives us in knowing that when you call on us to speak that we have those words and we can give people that understanding we know that it's it's you and your word that speaks directly to people's hearts lord we pray that you'd watch over us Help us to honor and obey you through this week, that we would have a good week and we can come back and worship you again. We pray for a good worship service this morning and a good message, and we ask for these things in Jesus' name.